right, everybody. Welcome back for another juicy week at What's going on, everybody? Victor, how are you doing? I am. I, I'm, I'm doing a little good. I just switched offices, so I have a bigger office, and I'm excited. But it's also kind of big time, so I'm got a lot of stuff coming down the pike at work, but I'm good. But on a personal note, I'm really happy. I just finished writing my um, pilot. Uh, I was excited to write about that because I was like, oh, my God, I really did it. I finally did it. I was inspired by um, Jordan Peele, of course. Um, and I had this idea in my mind for a long time. And I said, in these two weeks, I'm going to finally get this story together. Um, there's been pages written already. I just went back and forth and I decided I'm going to dedicate my time to do it. So it is done. Um, I love it. It is mostly a black cast. It is a my dream of this is being a miniseries, a scary miniseries. And so, yeah, I'm happy about that. What about awesome. yourself? Oh. Especially with you, you just got into the Wiz. Talk about it. Yeah, uh, so last weekend I had auditions for the Wiz, and, you know, obviously I slayed. Um, They asked me to do some more choreography, like, after everybody left, and I was like, okay, so, you know, I'm already in here, so whatever. Um, So I'm a part of the ensemble, which is cool. Um, I think the ensemble has a bigger role than what they had in Dreamgirls, so I'll be doing a lot more dancing Probably have some lines. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about it. I think we'll start rehearsal in the next couple of weeks. And I'm already having rehearsal for our uh, coronation for the uh, court, the Imperial Court of Kentucky. Come on, um, coming up. <laughs> We're doing that. Oh, actually, last night, me and the boyfriend, we were coming up with choreography. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of dancing that I've been, I've been doing. And then this weekend I have to go to Louisville to do some more dancing for drag queen. So I'm, I'm having fun. I'm keeping busy, you know, so I'm loving that. Okay. That's good. That's good. But we got to get into the other stuff that's been going on. I feel like there's been a lot of interesting things happening down the so we're going to get into Aunt May's tea. Um, first, we're just going to say something really quick. Now we are seeing Wonder Woman everywhere. She is now all over the billboards, um, literally over the weekend. She popped up everywhere in Los Angeles, um, New York. Uh, she was on a bus today. I tweeted that, like, yes, bus. She was on a bus while I was going to work. So she is everywhere now. I may even post a video of me doing some stuff around the posters. It's a big line of her posters up <laughs> to do a video. I did a live video um, about um, free comic day. So uh, I might just do that. That was kind of fun. So yeah. yeah I, I like Periscope doing uh, videos. I did a video when we uh, about drag when I was going to one of those drag shows. Uh, so yeah, Periscope is fun. Yeah. So, you know, I might do a little bit of that, but I'm happy to say that she is up. I'm looking forward to it. The last trailer dropped. I didn't watch it. I watched parts. I didn't want to watch it. I want to be awed. So. I, did, I saw the, the last trailer that they put up, and I didn't really see anything that I hadn't already seen. Mm-hmm. So they kind of they could have kind of kept that. But um, I'm still wondering why Chris Pine is in it, even though I know Steve Trevor is a part of the Wonder Woman 
uh, story, yeah. but it just seems, uh, do we really need him? Well, you know, I don't know, and we will see that. Like, as a part of me, it's like, we'll see what he, what his role is, what his role has been, kind of as her, as her, her guide to what man's world is through a man. So, uh-huh. you know, we'll, we'll kind of see that. You know, we got a little bit of that in the cartoon, um, her, car- her animated movie, where he was, like, trying to help her understand what it is to be, you know, a man, even though he's kind of a, a dick at times. But right. we'll see. You know, I, I'll give a little Chris Pine. He, he kind of won points with me after SNL. So we'll I have things to say about that, but we'll get to that later <laughs> on. Um, I wonder if, because, you know, on... The mascara they have black women there i wonder if they'll show a juxtaposition as far as how people of color are treated on in man's world you know mm. that i think that would uh be different and and as far as setting the the worlds against like what the mascara is like versus what man's world is like and that's a good point because you think about Philippus and now um, Artemis is black um, and maybe some other women of, who are other races as well. How would they, you know, how would they be treated if they came to me? Like, what if it was Nubia mm-hmm. instead of her? You know, what if it was, you know, that Artemis, that version of Artemis that came or the other women of color came and was in Diana? How would they be treated as a woman of color, especially in those days? So that's an interesting thing to get into. We might have to make a moment for that sometime because I think that'll be a very interesting conversation. Um, maybe even have that with some, you know, people who have written and drawn Wonder Woman. I'll have a good conversation about that, um, about what would have happened if Nubia was Wonder Woman or what would happen right. if she became a woman of color who won the role came during the 40s. Uh-huh. That's a good, that's a good, mm. <laughs> That's some deep stuff because you know we were free, but we weren't free, and right? So, you know, I'm just like, mm. and a woman too, right? Exactly. So let's go on. Uh, so the Blade Runner trailer dropped. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 dropped, mm-hmm. and um, I'm curious. I'm gonna be. I mean. I don't like Ryan Gosling. I think he is subpar. He always looks goofy, like he's discombobulated. He always looks like he's just so confused as to what's going on. So already there, I'm like, okay, I don't want to see it. But, you know, I like Harrison Ford. And the visuals of the movie were cool as hell. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to run out to the theaters to see it. What did you think? You know, I was, I'm like you, I'm not... I enjoyed the original. Um, I was too young to understand it, but I had to watch it again when I got a little bit older. I'm into it-ish. Um, now, if somebody got a screener, and I'll go over to my friend's house and watch it when he does. When he gets screeners, so we'll, we sometimes watch stuff over there. If he gets a screener of that, I will go and see it. I may pay, but I won't go the opening weekend. And, you know, I don't know. I am curious about it. Um, I do like Ryan Gosling. Um, I seen him in person. He was nice <laughs> at the record store. Um, and I like him. Now he, now, he didn't win no points with me with La La Land, but I do like Harrison Ford. Um, and so I'm, I might give it a try. I, I'll probably end up seeing it. I probably will. 
I gotta be... Unless Ryan Gosling dies, like, you know... <laughs> now, let me, let me stop. I, I, I'm just not interested in seeing it. Um, yeah. I'm not interested in paying other people's money to see it. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll other people's money. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But it, it, looked, it looked pretty cute. It looked pretty cute to at least check out a little bit. So, let's... Uh, I'm going to add this one in here. Uh, let's talk politics. this that (laughs) too much has happened within the past two days Uh uh-huh two days like i can't keep up we are really in scandal this this is house of cards bullshit oh no shonda she did this this is your fault miss rhymes So, did you watch the uh, Yates hearing? I so did. I watched that at work. And Madam Slade, with her country accent, sat up there just like Delma, um, Delma Harper and said what she had to say. Right. Let's <laughs> see. I, I had started, um, like, the beginning when it started, like, at, what, I think 2.30 yesterday or something like that. And, you know, they were dragging on and dragging on like they do. And so, finally, I just cut it off. And, like, the minute I cut it off, Everybody apparently said that she started reading everybody for filth and coming up with them receipts, especially when uh, Ted Cruz with his hamburger-looking ass. Um, he was like, "Oh, uh, he what did he say? He said something he ignorant, like, mostly about like why wouldn't you follow the laws? You know, basically why you wouldn't follow what the president said, and then try to pull up this piece that talks about that anytime you." Basically saying that you have the right to discriminate, and she said, "Um, actually, what you're using is a piece that has been questioned. The, what we are using is this, and then she read that, that we do not discriminate against, and mm-hmm. that fucks what you just told me." And I was like, "Up, oh, up, oh. right." <laughs> she just yeah. snatched him off right off your face, right off the face, and he's just—I hate it. Ted Cruz is a a piece of shit. And then, Everybody in that administration is a piece of shit. And you know, I, I. I had hope for him because remember when he spoke at Trump's, um, wherever that was, the, over the summer, they all had their, the, the GOP, um, I forgot the name, the proper name of it, but then when they all speak out the summer, the GOP has one and then um, the Democrats have one. Um, and he kind of basically said, I really don't care about Trump. Like he was, he got kind of booed, and I thought he was going to stand his ground and be a man of his word. And I was like, okay, I see that you might be the wild card, but he ended up falling in line. This right here, what he did yesterday was basically like, no one takes you seriously. And then He's they a piece him. of shit. He should have fought Trump like uh, in the street after Trump talked about his wife, but oh. no. Because I would have knocked that man the fuck out. Yeah, he should have been like, they. I feel like if Republicans were smart, there should have been a few of them that would have been just like Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham is basically being the lone wolf. Madam is sitting up here, like we're gonna. Like I want to investigate what he did. Like he, like basically, he has nothing to lose. Uh-huh. So I love the fact that Lindsey Graham is like, I may be a Republican, but I'm secretly Joe Biden's good friend, and so I'm gonna kind of play that role. I didn't think he had that in him for real. To be honest, I thought he was gonna, you know tuck tail between his legs and get in line like all the other Republicans. Yeah. He has been coming out 
Like, I, and I appreciate that. But then I, I kind of laugh. I'm like, well, maybe because he is Joe Biden, one of Joe Biden's good friends. And I feel like maybe there's some of that sense. Because I feel like Lindsey Graham is that old school Republican. Like, he remembers what it was to be in the, like, the real Republican Party, whatever that is. Right. Was, I think he was that Reagan Republican. And so when you're that Reagan Republican, you're not really fans of this of this Republic now. So uh, these remakes, the remix yeah. Republicans. Yeah, and so then it was also funny because you know even before this, they were all excited about this healthcare thing that it has to go to Senate where it may not go any further. But I I found it interesting that all these white men were just cheering cheering at the fact that they may be killing a whole bunch of folks because they can't afford that. But then it also goes back to the fact that these folks, you see that article about how reason why white working class voted for Trump because they are they have cultural anxiety. I'm like, Man. I don't know what the fuck that is, but like, you know that's, what? That's, um, that's Just say that you didn't want you were tired of the nigga that was in office for eight years and you don't want a bitch in office for four years. So just say that. Yeah. And also just admit that it has a lot to do with racism. And the, and the quiet as it's kept, nobody wants your job. Nobody wants to be out there turning tires. Nobody wants to be out there putting in screws. And, and, and another thing is, y'all need to worry about, you know, if Pedro's going to take your job, you need to be worried about if the company's going to sell y'all out. Mm-hmm. That's then what the, Then the same motherfuckers that are saying that coal is going to come back. Meanwhile... Cole ain't never gonna come back. Coming back. Like, come on now. We just I, I don't understand it. And then today it dropped that uh FBI director Comey is out. Trump fired him. And I'm like, well, well he about to go he about to go tell the business. He should. Yeah. I mean, like, well, if it's an ongoing investigation, that kind of I don't know how much he can tell as far as classified information, but he should uh, march his ass right up to that hearing and say, I got a story to tell y'all. And it just it just goes to show that nobody's in charge. True. Especially at the FBI. So why would you why would you fire an investigator that's investigating the White House? Yes. You know? And, it, it, it just looks so fishy. It looks really bad. It looks really bad. It looks fishy as fuck. Like, if, even if Trump didn't do anything. Let's say, for argument's case, he didn't do anything. Why would you fire that person if nothing alone for optics? Yeah, because he's saying that he did it so there there can be some trust. I'm like, bitch, it's the thing. It's you that nobody's trusting, so you need to go. But I also see that um, that it's an issue with um it's an issue with the fact that they're getting close to something they are trying to cover something up and it's going to soon come out they don't understand that maybe Tommy may have some people in the force where they may just putting something out because i'm like saying he has some loyal people too so i'm just tired of these stories that say oh this is what's going to break the camel's back like don't talk to me unless y'all are ready to press charges, throw somebody in jail because this bait and switch, this uh, boy who cried wolf stories is getting tired. Like, 
we know what y'all, they know what we want. So keep doing your investigations. And until y'all say, okay, this is, we're going up there right now. Don't let us know. <laughs> and I'm here for it. Same. <laughs> All right. So let's see what else has been going on. So Guardians of the Galaxy came out. Um, it, I enjoyed it. <clears throat> My throat. I enjoyed it. Um, it was really good. It was really good. Um, good storytelling. Um, it was just really good. Solid two hours. Two hours and I think 16 minutes. It was everything I wanted. Good story. A little sad. I heard it was uh, a bit emotional. I still haven't seen it. I've yet to see the first one, to be honest. Um, there was... I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not in a rush to see it. But I know I'll have to see it because it goes with the overall MCU universe that they're building. So I'll see it sooner or later. Yeah, so I'm excited after that. I'm excited for um, all of that um, as well as to see what else they come up with. But there were some good pieces there. So if y'all haven't seen it, please go out and see it. It is really good. It's really good. So... The In- Inhumans uh, <laughs> poster dropped, and from talking about good Marvel to right, it, yeah. I had hopes for this, and now my hopes were severely diminished. <laughs> I'm gonna still watch it, and maybe they got time to clean it up. You know, what I'm saying like, who knows what they can do between now and then. But Medusa, that wig, that wig, I'm destroyed. Like that wig. And she looks like a white Black China. If you look at Black China, you look at her. Oh my gosh, she does. Because Black China, and I'm, and y'all know I don't care for Black China. I don't think Black China's pretty. I don't get it about her at all. But this, she looks like a white Black China. I, her, I don't know what they were trying to do with her her wig but it looked like it was freshly out the bag and they just put some oil sheen on it and just put it on her head it didn't look like when I think of Medusa and I see all the uh, the pictures she has this huge ass mange of hair that she can I, I, I don't maybe this is just like a I don't know, a trial run or an early mock-up, but it doesn't look good. Yeah. And I'm like, ugh. And I want it to look good. I want it to be good because I feel like the Inhumans is a really uh, a really cool story that you can tell. But I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> We will see, but I was just like, okay, but we, we'll let this part, I'm going to let it pass for a little bit, and then hopefully as we get more, and then, you know, teasers and some trailers drop, we might get something better, so we will see. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Because, you know, these people love to let us down. Yeah, they do. And speaking well, of letting us down, 
So Marvel, there was a article that was released on the Huffington Post that Marvel might be getting rid of a lot of comic book titles because of their quote unquote lack of sales. Um, did you read the article? I did, and I noticed the list. Um, so let's go through this list here. Yes, because it has um, mostly the black titles. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm 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 gonna keep it 100. I personally think that when they had when they got a hit with Black Panther, they was going too far trying to add in Black Panther and the crew and. Wakanda. I think we didn't need to do that personally. Maybe a one shot, you know, like a one shot of War of Wakanda, or maybe like something once every three months or something like that. But not like this. So I'm I I'm fine with World of Wakanda and the crew. I hate to say that, but a part of me is like, if you're not if it's not adding to the story, let's just keep a Black Panther story and then build up within his universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just very odd that you uh, Marvel is having all these kind of issues claiming that diversity doesn't sell or all this jazz or um, but yet you're not promoting any of these comics that are that have people of color more specifically black people as the leads. Because I do want them to save Moon Girl. I think Moon Girl has a very good purpose. But as I look at the list, and as you see the list, uh, there's a part... Now, I come from the old school era, com- era of comics where it wasn't so many titles. And you have titles like the, the U.S. Avengers and the Avengers, another Avengers one, and then you have um, certain titles that you're like, okay, so what's happening in these stories? Why do we need to have so many? Mm-hmm. Um, Army would like for you to have a solid... 15 comics, 10 to 15 comics. And you tell the story there, like the way they do in Secret Empire. I look back at uh, Kenny X Men 190 and 191. They told the same type of story and two issues. Mm-hmm. And so I'm saying what they could do is just drop down to like, we got the Avengers, tell the Avengers story, and then we have an annual or a king size edition, tell these additional stories. But let's not keep creating a comic for Zool and all, you know, some of these don't need a, a comic. Right. Build their character and comics up within their original place. And then if they are popular enough to move on to a separate book, then do that. But I think they need to return to the old school ways of doing comics where it was like, if we did a spinoff, it was a limited series or it was something that was done in an annual or a king size edition. Yeah, all these different issues and all this storyline, it feels like as somebody who isn't really into the comic book game, it makes it very um, daunting to try to jump into mm-hmm. a an X-Men storyline when you don't even have any of the backstory. So that's because I get a lot of my information. Well, I have gotten a lot of my information about X-Men from the cartoon mm-hmm. so it, it's just they need to stop with these a lot of these one-shot issues and they really need to promote if they're all about diversity if you know if x-men 
if they wrote right X-Men and X-Men is supposed to stand in what diversity means and supposed to be like the pinnacle of the fight against racism and homophobia and mm-hmm. all these other phobias, then you just need to stop all these other storylines that are not they're not bringing anything relevant to the table. Yeah. Hopefully they will see that. Um, but like, there's some on that list I agree with. There's some I think they can work a little bit more with. They need to keep the, the diverse titles or the more inclusive titles and make it work. We don't need to have so many of these titles that you're just like, um, okay, I, I don't see why you're doing all this, but okay. They especially oh. need to keep Moon Girl as for their younger readers. Yeah. You know, a lot of black little girls don't get to see themselves represented in comics. So why would you just take that away? Yeah. All right. All right. And then we have, okay, so American Gods. And I struggle with this show um, because this show is kind of pompous. <laughs> Um, it's American dialogue to this monologue because I was doing these monologues and stuff. Um, but they are really, really pushing the third episode because apparently it's going to have this the most hottest gay sex scene ever on television besides porn. And then they're going <laughs> to, and they're really pushing it. And I have an issue with that because I feel like they're uh, using this as a gimmick. I do not like it when they try to use anything about our community, the queer community to sell, you know, to sell it on watch it because we're about to have gay sex. And I'm right. Like, and I saw that article and I was like, don't I said, come on. I'm like, are we still doing this in 2017? Like, why are we using this as a, a plot pusher? Like, why are we saying like, only reason why you're going to bring us up is because we're going to have this hot sex scene. I'm already like tone turned off from since because they just kind of play it. That's pretty much all it is. Is softcore porn, and so I just feel like that. It's Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> I know it is. It's the Red Shoe Diaries with with mutants. So I just feel like I don't like the fact they're doing this, and I feel like that it's a gimmick that I just don't like to be a part of. I I understand where you're coming from because it's it's almost as if okay, if two dudes are having sex, then it has to be this raw you know it can't be intimate it has to be it has to be almost dirty in a sense it can't be versus you see a man and a woman having sex it has to be this animalistic type style fucking and that's not what it that's not what gay sex sorely is I mean Granted, that kind of sex is good, but gay men can also be affectionate and very intimate when they make love. Mm-hmm. And as far as using this as a, a plot point to drive a story, I, I feel like that's a an idea that is it run its course. Yeah, and it did, it didn't even need to be made a story yeah. it just made okay these guys are gay and you're just gonna have to deal with it you know you didn't have to say oh and next they're gonna be fucking you know like mm-hmm. just let it 
let the story speak for itself. You know, you don't have to narrate it. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll talk about it next week when it comes out. But I'm just like, I don't, I just didn't like the way that was done. I was seeing it pop up on a couple of blogs as well on Twitter about this scene. And they're like, okay, why are we trying to hype this up to me? It's just sex. <laughs> like, I mean, I get it. But at the same time, like, it's okay. It's like, are we going to do another back of a unicorn? Like, what? what is, why is right. this? Right. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. As I was like, okay, whatever. Right. Okay, so let's talk about drag. Drag <laughs> race. So the girls had to do a uh, Beverly Hills uh, type mm-hmm. show, which was cute. Mm-hmm. I actually, I've never seen any kind of Beverly Hills 90210. Never. Yeah. That wasn't in the family's uh, TV watching that or Party of Five or Melrose Place. You know, we was busy watching Cops and America's Most Wanted. (laughs) We was trying to get them bad guys up out these streets. Uh, So the the challenge was cute. Um, The biggest people, the biggest people that stood out to me were uh, Shea Coulee, her character, um, she was an older, I forgot the name of it. Uh, I think it was Grandula or something like that. Mm-hmm. She was an older type of student, like a grandma type student, which she was funny. Um, and who else? Honestly, that, oh, oh Trinity Taylor's uh, mm-hmm. mom character stood out too. Yeah. So, uh, the, because I'm going to make this very brief. The runway was big hair. And again, Shay stood out to me. Farrah was decent. She uh, Pheromone said that her drag inspirations were RuPaul and Dolly Parton. And I could see the Dolly Parton as far as the hair. Yeah. Uh, the bottom two were Aja and Nina. And they lip synced to Finally by CeCe Pennison. I yeah. mean, which... I don't know a queen that doesn't know that song. Yeah. That's got to be like backup drag 101. Yeah. Uh, so Aja went home and she right. was doing all these flips and splits. And I'm like, that song doesn't call for all that. You just yeah. walk around, give good face, you know, and live in it. But what I wanted to jump on real quick, and I, we're not going to spend a lot of time on here, is okay, so. They had the the SNL skit about with Chris Pine. The dudes were like, oh, we don't really watch Drag Race, but we watch Drag Race. I'm like, okay, that was cute. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't here for it because I just, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't funny to me, yeah. to be, be honest. And then they had this lip sync, the lip sync battle uh, show with, I think it's on Spike TV or whatever. Yeah. I have issues with that show as well. So, Drag Race has been on for nine seasons. And now, all of a sudden, when Ruse got her Emmy, when the show was doing fucking amazing, all of a sudden, the straights want to get grab them a show for them lip syncing. Have the, the boys basically up in drag. And I'm like, okay, so... We can't have shit to ourselves. Y'all gotta bite in on our style. 
And granted, you know, some of it is funny. Some of it's cute, especially when Shani was doing Beyonce and then Beyonce actually walked out. I mean, that's the only one. That's the only one I actually caught. Yeah. uh, Real time. It's just, I don't like this. Oh, we're going to jump on this idea just because it's cool. When a lot of the times these drag queens in these streets were a lot of these kids superheroes. You know, that's all we had. That's all a lot of them had back in the day. Maybe I am just close to drag to have this type of opinion, but I'm like, y'all can cut it with that lip sync battle. I, I get it. I, I mean, it does feel like let's do our own, um, but it would be nice if some of them would actually go on, you know, Drag Race and and judge or host. Or I don't, I don't want them to judge or host because <laughs> I don't think they don't have the receipts. To judge or to host. Okay. No, I, I see that too. I don't know. I'm. <laughs> it's just like, it's almost with that shit with uh, Miley Cyrus. Like, oh, I'm not going to use uh, hip hop culture anymore. It's just like that. I'm going to use it when it's good for me. But then when it's, when I want to, you know, throw it away, I'm yeah. going to throw it away. It's almost like the culture is just an accessory. And so when it's, when it's here, I'm going to use it. And then when it's not beneficial for me, then I'm not going to use it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get it. But yeah, that's that's my uh, grief, my gripe about um, lip sync battle. And I know Tom Holland is actually a trained dancer any damn way. So ain't no, it didn't make no sense for him not to kill it. Yeah. Well, that was good. I mean, I, I, I like this. His, he's, he's growing on me. Um, he did. He he did really good. He did very good. Uh, but I do get the point of you know people they coming into the culture and I feel like you need to recognize where this comes from. Um, and there's been stuff in the past like there was putting on the lips uh, way back in the '80s. If y'all Google putting on the lips, um, there was a it was it was kind of a lip sync show that people would do back in the '80s. So uh-huh. it's been done before, but it's been highlighted by us. So just want to Specific- make sure- specifically. Uh, black queer people. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> right. We keep y'all in fashion. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's all we got for Aunt May's tea. We're gonna take a break, and then we come back. We will have a very interesting interview. So y'all very very. <laughs> Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. All right, y'all, we are back with our king size issue today, and we have a very special guest here today. Very special. Very special. I mean, like, this person has done so much, not just in the comic book industry, but just overall. It's like so much stuff that I want to do. Um, but he has done it. He has worked for DC Comics, Warner Brothers, um, created kind of a very powerful comic world, and created another one, one of the first black editors ever of Batman 
I mean, he's a renaissance man. Yes. That's what he is. He's a renaissance man. And if you don't know who this is, you should be embarrassed. But today we have Joe Illich on our podcast. <laughs> hey, thank you for having me. Good to finally make it to Mega Sheet. Yes. Yes. We're so thank happy. you so much for coming by. Yes. You're welcome. So, um, for those who don't know, which again, as I said, they should be ashamed, can you tell us a little bit about you and what they should know okay. about you? Um, all right, thank you. Um, my name is Joseph Illage. Um, I'm the senior editor for Lion Forge Comics right now. And we have just launched a new, diverse, inclusive, mm-hmm. multicultural superhero universe called Catalyst Prime. Yes. The first book, Noble Number One, came out in stores on Wednesday, May 3rd. And so far, the response has been really positive. Um, because we're talking about comics, there's always an origin story. So mine basically goes a little something like this. I started in comics as an intern at Milestone Media Inc., which was the first black-owned comic book company to have a publishing deal with a giant, which was DC Comics. Milestone came out in the 90s. Milestone was founded by um, the late, great Dwayne McDuffie, Mm -hmm. Derek T. Dingle, Michael Davis, Dennis Cowan, and Christopher Priest. And so I worked my way up there and eventually became an editor at Milestone from there, I moved on to DC Comics, where I became a member of the editorial department of the Batman group, and I was the first person of color and the first black person to be an editor on the Batman line, and that was during a groundbreaking one-year event called the No Man's Land, Yes, which would lead to the entire 21st century relaunch of the Batman line. Mm-hmm. And during my time there, we like Cassandra Kane, the Asian Batgirl, Detective Crispus Allen, mm-hmm. who appeared on the Fox show Gotham, and we really did some groundbreaking stuff with Batman, and at that time I was also an editor of the Birds of Prey title mm-hmm. with Black Canary and Oracle. Yes. Um, when Barbara Gordon was Oracle, um, the wheelchair-bound information specialist of the DC Universe, and I was also the liaison with WB Animation because at the time the Batman Beyond cartoon was on the air, and I was the editor of the Batman Beyond comic, and I had a previous relationship to some degree with Warner Brothers Animation because when I was at Milestone, Milestone as a company and its founders were the creators of Static, which... Mm -hmm was the lead character in the Static Shock cartoon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after I left DC Comics, I went into book production so I could learn about book manufacturing because as important as the content is, if the packaging isn't up to snuff, people aren't going to buy it. And after taking some time away to learn about book production, I worked at a company called Arkea, which is now owned by Boom. Yes. But originally, Arkea was an independent company for um, independent creators and creator-owned projects. While I was there, one of the projects that I brought on was called The Many Adventures of Miranda Mercury, which was about a black female space hero from a family of black space heroes. Mm -hmm. And after Arkea, I went back to book production, and 
I returned to comics as a columnist for Comic Book Resources, where I wrote a column called The Color Barrier, which started during Black History Month and explored um, cultural issues in the comic book industry in the context of fiction and in the context of creators and staffing and the disparities in the comic book industry just the same way there are disparities in the real world. And the color barrier became the mission, which became a regular column. And during that time, I became familiar with Lionforge Comics, a black-owned comic book company, privately owned. And we stayed in touch over the years. And we decided to work together. And Lionforge made me an offer to come on as one of their senior editors. And I accepted, and so in that capacity, that leads to the present with the Catalyst Prime line, which is bringing together a group of diverse creators, creating a whole new universe of superheroes, and I feel like this universe is more inviting to people from different backgrounds, people of different lifestyles, genders, ages, non-binary, I feel like this universe is the solution to the problems that cannot be solved by the so-called titans hmm. of this industry. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, 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 and now it begins, you know? Yeah. I started working for Lion Forge on June 30th of 2016, and May 3rd, 2017, the first Catalyst Prime book came out, and it's amazing, it's cathartic, I'm very happy for the creators, mm-hmm. and I'm happy for the fans, I'm happy that we can finally begin the process of giving the fans the kind of books that they have earned for their patience and for their dedication to this industry which has historically not treated them with equity. Hmm. That's, <laughs> that's, that's deep. totally true. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I'm stammering over my words because it's just, it's just so spot on. Uh, I, I feel like the, the comic book industry has not treated its readers as if they're worth anything, which a lot of businesses don't do. They don't treat their customers like they don't own them. They don't owe them everything, you know, because without your customers, without your readers, you know, you don't have a life cycle. So Absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. And for the comic book industry, what's tough is that because we love these things, because these things are based upon stories of heroism that we naively believed as a community that this industry did not operate by the same rules as all the other industries in this nation. And Mm. now that we have gone through the collective disillusionment, we are speaking out in a variety of ways, and I feel like Catalyst Prime in addition to being entertaining and imaginative 
and character-driven and revealing and adventurous and dramatic and intriguing is going to speak to people in ways that other companies have not been able to consistently do. Wow. And that's a very good thing because I feel like we are always searching for something. When we, especially when it comes to comics, we're in characters. We're searching for characters in comics that will give us a story, but also give us something to, in some sense, to believe in. And I and I and I like what you were saying because I feel like what you're creating is going to provide that for a lot of readers. Um, and I feel like that's going to really begin to change the game and hopefully inspire others who are trying to start their own universes and comics and what have you to get out there and just do it. So I, I, I totally feel this. Totally. Thank you very much. Um, you know, and credit, a lot of credit has to go to the creators that I've been fortunate enough Mm -hmm. to bring together. And I really have a good diverse set of writers, artists, colorists, Mm -hmm. letterers, and, you know, the process kind of started once I was tasked with the responsibility of taking the nucleus of this superhero universe. It was a basic nucleus that was created by um, David Stewart II, who's the managing member and CEO of Lionforge, and Carl Reed, who's a chief creative officer. They worked together with some allies and came up with a nucleus for the Catalyst Prime universe. But it was very embryonic. And when Jeff Gerber, the president of the company, brought me on, my task was to take that and bring together the right people mm-hmm. to turn it into a fully fleshed out universe that could stand the test of time and that could stand alongside other such fictional constructs. And so the first thing that I did was after assembling a group of writers, I put together a writer's retreat Hmm. so that all of us could get out of our homes and away from our desks and phones and get in the same room and really just like let our imaginations go wild. Oh, wow. And it was from that that we were able to develop the Catalyst Prime Universe Bible. Hmm. And that is basically something that I got from when I worked at Milestone when I worked at DC Comics and Batman, and it's a television industry staple where if you're dealing with a television show, there's a Bible. The Bible tells you about the characters, the world, the rules. Mm-hmm. So we were able to develop the Catalyst Prime Universe Bible based on the writer's retreat. And then after that, I was able to start assembling artists and colorists and letterers. And then as we started getting visuals, designs, and things of that nature, then the Bible kept evolving. And the Bible continues to evolve because the universe continues to evolve. But right right now, that serves as the master document. So if I were to bring on a new artist to do a fill-in issue, I could hand them that Bible Mm -hmm. and say, okay, you know, read it, you know, get your feet wet, and then let's get started. Awesome. Yeah. So so let's talk about uh, the noble which dropped this week. Uh, without spoiling it for the listeners, uh, could you 
uh, give a little background about it and what can we expect as far as future Noble issues? Sure. So with Noble number one, basically Noble is a former astronaut. The world believes he's dead. He's alive. Somehow he has telekinetic powers, but he's an amnesiac. He doesn't know his name. He doesn't know that he has a wife and a kid. And he gets these weird memory flashes. And he's on the run from a mysterious organization. They've been trying to capture him for months. And because he doesn't know his name, he's traveling around the world. He's going under different pseudonyms and false identities. So the first issue is basically we throw you right into the action. He's been captured. He escapes. And it's the story of him escaping from a potential capture and in the beginning we give you some context because we show you that one year ago he was involved in a suicide mission to prevent the earth from getting destroyed by an asteroid Uh he was believed to be dead his wife mourned him his son thought he was dead his mother-in-law thought he was dead and now here he is alive and the end is a revelation that will propel the story forward in what I consider an interesting and distinctive way. And what I would like to say to black women is I ask you to read this book because there is a serious deficiency and misunderstanding and lack of willingness to engage the black woman in comic books, in superhero comic books. Mm -hmm. Noble is going to do the exact opposite. Hmm. And if you read this first issue, by the time you get to the end, you will get a sense of what comes next. And I think it's something that's really engaging, and I think one thing that's really cool about Noble is Noble is dealing with a black family Hmm. when we see black superheroes they're not usually part of what I would say families that are functional yes or families that have a structure yeah they're usually part of these problematic families or they're loners true and in the case of Noble he is very much part of a family and He's trying to get back to them, in a sense, even though he doesn't totally remember them. But there's something that's driving him that he needs to get to. That sounds intriguing as hell, yeah, it honestly. <laughs> it does. I will have to say that I yesterday was comic book day, and I was looking for Noble. It was not at my comic book store, so I have to go down to Go Napple. That's in Los Angeles. It's one of the big ones we have. Um, hopefully they have it, but I know I was looking for it yesterday, so I can't wait to read this. All right, well, I hope you find it. Um, if you don't, reach out to me and let me know. I'll talk to our head of sales and marketing because we want people to be able to get this book. And something that was mentioned earlier, I believe, was Free Comic Book Day, which is coming up Saturday, May 6th. Mm-hmm. And on Free Comic Book Day, we're going to have a one-shot called Catalyst Prime, the event which is going Mm -hmm. to be about the suicide mission to save the world. And that free comic book 
directly connects to Noble Number One. So this week is kind of like not, it's an entire lunch week right. for Lionforge yeah. and Catalyst Prime. So between Noble Number One and the free comic book day one shot Catalyst Prime, the event, it's really going to set you off in this new world. Oh, wow. So I hope that you can get Noble so that when you get the free comic book, you can experience them together. Exactly. Yeah. And that leads me to my uh, second question. How important is free comic book day to the comic book industry, especially to indie comics? I would say it's crucial because that is the day when stores can expect the highest concentration of customers, potential customers, a number of regular customers, but also new people going into comic book stores because you can get books for free. You can sample different things from different companies. And as is the nature of consumerism, you're in some place, you wander around, there's an opportunity for you to see something you might like and to purchase it, or for a retailer to say, hey, what are your interests? What do you like? Oh, okay, you like that? This book may intrigue you. And what that does is that helps fortify the retailer side of the business because it increases their customer base, which then flows over to the publishers. So for independent comic book companies that have their work in the comic book stores that have their product there because they're distributed by Diamond, that's an opportunity to gain new customers. And it really speaks to the interrelated marriage of the comic book publisher and the comic book retailer, the two of which have to be partners for this industry to continue to survive and thrive. And I think also for the customers, it's great because were it a free comic book day to get around, they might not have even known there was a comic book store within a few miles of where they live or close to where a friend lives. So they end up finding about these places, which are kind of like benchmarks in communities. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and there's a store that is my local comic book store at Flatbush Junction. And then I heard about another one that just opened up in Crown Heights. So there are stores disappearing and there are new stores opening up and it's an opportunity to recognize these stores as members of our community mm. the same way grocery stores and dry cleaners and Dunkin' Donuts may be members of our community. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good way to look at it. Like, I, I'd never really thought about it that way, but that makes so much sense. The way we think of the corner stores, the barber shops, the comic book stores, like the space where you go and just let your mind wander and also get inspired. So I... That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, and the comic book stores were there for us when being a comic book fan was not cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like being a comic book fan made you a pariah. Yeah. And I remember being in high school, and I would be on the train, and I would have to hide my comic books behind my math book. And, you know, I had my friends telling me, you know, they were straight up there like, Joe, there's no way you're going to get any sex if these girls know that you're a comic book fan. <laughs> like, it's not happening, you know what I mean? Yeah. So before the Marvel Cinematic Universe and these other things that happened in which comic books became part of the mainstream, 
they were niche and they were not looked at as a favorable medium or a favorable industry and people who were fans of them were not necessarily looked at favorably so during those times the comic book stores were our points of refuge exactly and so our loyalty to them should not change because now it's acceptable as a matter of fact that loyalty should be reinforced as a sense of gratitude right Mm -hmm. right exactly so as far as the the catalyst prime universe can we expect to see any queer characters absolutely yeah because you can't have a world and the world be full of heterosexual people that's no real world that's a fake world that's a world (laughs) that some people may want but they're not gonna get it right (laughs) they're not gonna get it and you know to create a heteronormative universe is ridiculous in the truest sense of the word you would be worthy of ridicule if you put forth a fictional universe like that so no I can tell you that one of our ongoing titles which is called Summit Mm -hmm. which is coming out in December the lead character is a queer woman I can tell you that while we will not immediately reveal it it will be revealed in time that one of the major characters from the Catalyst Prime the event one shot is also queer and we're going to be doing that throughout a variety of books. You're going to see transsexual characters. You're going to see younger characters who are discovering their sexuality. And this is not going to be done in a way that is neon sign. Look at me, I'm gay. Look at me, I'm non-binary. How cool is that? That's not what it's going to be about. It's going to be about creating a world that parallels our own world in diversity. And some characters are gonna know exactly who and what they are and others are going to go through the discovery process. And the same way that you could know someone, and when you first meet them, you might not necessarily know what their sexual preference is. And then over time, you learn and then that expands your awareness or understanding of them as a person that will happen with these characters as well so yes we will have queer characters in this universe they will not be in the background some of them will be heroes some of them will be villains some of them will not wear costumes and play different roles in society and it's something that I speak about a lot with the editorial assistant of Catalyst Prime, Desiree Rodriguez, who's a well-known writer and blogger, and she's written some amazing columns on the subject, and it's actually why I invited her to work for the company. I saw an article that she wrote, and it was about... I believe it was about the not understanding the full scope 
and how, in general, we don't understand certain cultural distinctions. And it really blew my mind. I read this and I was like, wow, because a year previous, I had written a column for Comic Book Resources on the Latina superheroes Mm -hmm. of Marvel and DC. And I felt like I had a decent understanding. But when I read this column of hers, it just made me step back and it pulled blinders away. And when I read that, and I read other columns she wrote, she wrote a column about the whitewashing of Sunspot from Marvel. And how he went from a darker-skinned Brazilian to someone with a complexion like Tilda Swinton or something like that. And in reading these, I knew that this was someone that we needed here on the inside, that her being on the outside was a disservice to this industry. Mm -hmm. And so I made her an offer that the company um, Lion Forge authorized me to do, and she came on board as an editorial assistant, and she is really a crucial element in what we're doing with Catalyst Prime, and she and I have weekly discussions about these things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she told me about was something called word of Godding, in which you don't clearly commit to stating that a character is queer. Mm-hmm. And so that is not something that we are going to do. We will identify people, but we will identify them as different ways as the stories progress. But we will not fail to commit to identifying the differences between different characters in this universe. That's good. I like the fact that, yeah, I like the fact that you has surrounded yourself with a lot of creative people, but people who are aware of these issues and making sure these are consistent throughout your comic, because we do see in the main two, sometimes they will introduce a queer character and really don't know what to do with it, and writers change so much that we either lose sight of what they're doing or who they are or is not mentioned again. And um, I think it's interesting that you brought up Sunspot, because I remember I grew up when... I, I remember getting the first... Um, graphic novel of the New Mutants, yes. and, and Roberto is dark. He is a dark skin. He yes. was like most of the story. Most of the story about him in the first few issues was about the fact that he was dark, and his mother was a redhead, um, and how you know he was teased for being dark in the first in that graphic novel. It talks about how he was teased for his his race. Um, so it's interesting to see that now because what that said to me is. The people in that particular, or Marvel, let's go ahead and just call them out, are not aware of the history of their characters. And what I'm hearing from you and, and what I appreciate is the fact that you are creating not only the universe, but the people to make sure this universe is consistent and stays consistent. To Therefore, we're not sitting here scratching our heads like, well, I thought this person was queer. I thought this person was black, but apparently they just got a great tan. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's really important to have people who are committed to making sure characters are represented correctly. And what I am hoping to help accelerate is the path to an industry where when you see a photograph of a number of people 
at a comic book company, mm-hmm. it's not 90 to 100% white. Yes. I am tired of seeing yes. photographs like those on websites, on social media. Yes. It is not a reflection of the comic book industry. Yes. It is not a reflection of our world. And when you look at Lionforge Comics, when you look at the staff, when you look at the creators of Catalyst Prime, you see beautiful people in their diversity, different complexions, different backgrounds, and, you know, insofar as how that translates to the representation of the comics, one thing that Desiree Rodriguez, an editorial assistant, has really championed and we're doing it is we actually have color codes for all of the characters so that when the characters cross over into different books, the colorist knows the color code for this person's complexion, their hair, and their eyes. And see, sometimes people don't even, like the average reader wouldn't even recognize that, like a, a typical white reader wouldn't even recognize that, but you know, a person of color would definitely recognize that. For instance, this one character who is super char- chocolate brown is all of a sudden, you know, Halle Berry color. So it's that's right. It's so refreshing to hear that that amount of detail and, like Victor said, consistency is being addressed. Yeah, thank you. And we have a good opportunity to do it because this is the beginning of a new universe so this is the start whereas with you know sunspot part of the problem is when there's a generational shift mm-hmm. that happens in an editorial department the job is for the elders to inform the new generation of the history of the legacies that they're engaging mm-hmm. and when you victor mentioned marvel graphic novel number four Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if the editor of U.S. Avengers knows what Marvel graphic novel number four is. Mm-hmm. So if they don't know what it is, they never read it. And like you said, they didn't see the introduction of Roberto da Costa being beaten on a soccer field mm-hmm. because he was this dark-skinned Brazilian boy mm-hmm. dating this light-skinned Caucasian blonde. Yes. Right? Yes. So... They don't understand the disparity between the origins of the character and the present of the character, and to some degree, don't care. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's right. And part of that is because I feel there is a deterioration in proper editorial training hmm. in this industry. So. The newer generation of editors have so much work to do, so much of a volume of work that there is no mentoring going on about editing as a craft, editing as a vocation. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that Lionforge is committed to and one thing that I'm committed to with Catalyst Prime is proper editorial guidance for the next generation the same way that it was done with me at Milestone, and at DC Comics under Denny O'Neill. Hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking about, I'm just thinking about the New Mutants, because I think about how, in some ways for me, that was 
it was a, a defining time because you had that the, the original group was very diverse in so many different ways and how those stories were told were basically in some ways introducing us to the diversity of people or how it, the otherness of what's out there um, so I feel like yes there is a failure where editors are not really seeing the importance of that but also not seeing the the benefits of making sure that we see a world and everything around it differently than what we think it is if that makes sense. yeah like for me the thing about the new mutants and the x-men when we were growing up is mm-hmm. they clearly engaged the analogy that they were to represent and you know when you had louise jones who's now louise simonson but mm-hmm. that was louise jones as an editor on the X-Men books when you had Chris Claremont um, co-writing some of these books the unclear understanding was that the X-Men were to speak to the prejudice issue of our nation and throughout this world and even uh, you talked about Marvel Graphic Novel number 4 which introduced the new mutants I believe Marvel Graphic Novel 5 was an X-Men story called God Loves Man Kills yes which really engaged the prejudice against mutants, against people who are different, against the heteronormative through hardcore conservative religious icons. Yes. And we live in some tempestuous times and now something like God Loves Man Kills which was produced in the 80s is more relevant than ever before and so so when I look at the mutant diaspora now I don't get a sense of the same level of engagement of this reality in our world that never went away yeah it got swept under the rug in some cases it became something that was more subtly handled in business or in life but we are now in a climate in which black people are being murdered with regularity and brutality Mm -hmm. and with a disproportionate level of consequence. This is happening to black men. This is happening to black women. Mm -hmm. This is happening to people from different cultures, different ages. This is not just happening in the United States. And we're in a climate of consent. And if we ever needed the excellent to engage this it would be now and you know part of what Catalyst Prime is I hope is the better solution to complaining because we can complain and we can complain and it doesn't mean that we're going to be given anything we're going to have to fight tooth and nail for everything and some people 
purpose to speak to these themes while entertaining us, you know, because fiction is our food. We need stories to propel us, to inform us, to inspire us, to give us refuge in times of pain and loss. And the superhero genre is very unique in the way it visualizes, in the way it represents an idea of something to inspire to. Um, And so I feel that that's something that we can do here and we can do now. Mm -hmm. And independent creators are doing it all throughout comic books. Um, in different genres so even though certain companies may not be meeting our needs I (laughs) can definitely tell you that there are other companies that are and will Mm. and Lion Forge is one of them and that's great to know I I know as as I consider myself as an independent comic creator now I do um that's one of the things I didn't see the stories I wanted to be told and I decided that I'm going to just tell my own story and just do it. Um, and I feel like that that's been great to do that because as I have finished and, and put it out online, I see that people were looking for this and wanting to see it and, or an angel sport. And I, and I think that because of that, it, it, it helps me realize that there is always an audience for it. If you give them the content, if you give them good content, um, they are willing to do that. And I believe that Catalyst Prime is going to do that because it just looks so exciting. I mean, I looked at who you had lined up. You had Phil in there, and I, I'm always happy when I see Phil's stuff in something. Oh, of uh, course. I mean, I was, so, I was so, you know, thrilled that he was able to have the time to yes. come on board and do these covers because once the covers all come together, you're going to see this image of the beauty and diversity of the Catalyst Prime universe, and it's going to be iconic, and it's going to, I think, let people know that we are serious. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. So, so Joe, how do you deal with, uh, you know, mental fatigue, stress, or even writer's block? What are your kind of uh, self-help exercises? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, because one of the things that I've been working on outside of my senior editor duties for Lion Forge is a miniseries called Solar Man. Um, The final issue is going to be coming out in June, and it's basically a three-issue miniseries about a a black kid, a hacker from Brooklyn who gets superpowers, and how getting superpowers is not necessarily a boon for him the way it was for for Peter Parker, let's say. And so... In that case, you know, that's where I take my editorial hat off and my writing hat on, the same way with columns. And I find that one thing that actually helps is the due date, the deadline, because when I was writing the weekly column for Comic Book Resources, and that's something I look forward to getting back to, it had to be given in every Monday. And... People are looking for it every Monday evening, and they don't care what's going on in your life. They're looking for it regular time, regular day, every week. So that, I think, puts you in a position where you've got a, 
shake out the cobwebs, you know, get off your butt, get in the chair, and write. Right. Another thing for me is, this is going to sound crazy, but getting enough sleep, <laughs> which, is something, which is something that, you know, when you're starting a business, you don't have the luxury to get a lot of because you're putting so much into it. But I remember watching a TED Talk um, by Ariana Huffington, and she talked about how sleep is directly connected to our capacity for imagination. And after that, I made it my business to say, okay, there's a minimum amount of sleep I need to be getting, so my brain is firing on all cylinders when I go to write. Um, and another thing is, I really love narrative. So as long as there is something going on that I feel like I can add a perspective to or as long as there's an opportunity for me to write something and I feel like I can bring a little authenticity to this story, then I'll do it. So I have been fortunate at this point that I have not suffered from a kind of hardcore burnout that has superseded the things that I just discussed in terms of preventing me from writing. I will say that the comic book industry is a very exhausting industry and because we love these things so much and because we have cared for people whom we have lost, um, sometimes you feel beaten. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're just tired of it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, for me, what happened was um, when Dwayne McDuffie passed, you know, I kind of had a, I kind of had a wake up call, and I got past my distaste for what was wrong with the business, and I was inspired to try to be part of the solution, mm. and not turning back. So. You know, there are times when you get tired and you get exhausted, but um, there's still stuff to do and there are still victories to be had and there are still good times ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Uh, one more question on my end. What would you say to creators who are trying to not only break into the business, but you know, try to find their way as far as their creative gene. Wow. Well, I think we all have stories to tell, and I think it really starts from what matters to you. What are the things that matter to you in life that you want to communicate to the world about? Um, and then once you decide what medium you're going to use. And if you decide it's going to be the comic book medium, then you have to learn how the industry works because your dreams, your creative dreams are contained in an industry with rules that are not necessarily fair and sometimes seemingly paradoxical. Hmm. So you have to understand how this business works. And then you have to be able to identify what you can do and what you can't do. And those things that you cannot do, you have to find allies 
So if you're a writer, or if you've, you're talented enough that you're a writer and an artist, but you're not good at PR, you're not good at getting the word out about your story, find someone who's a PR person and get them to be your ally. Maybe you have to pay them something. Okay. If not, <laughs> then they partner up with you. You have a company and you say, hey, this is this is a partnership. We create the business structure for this partnership and this is how it's going to work. In general, everyone should be paid for their services. So you may have to come out of pocket, but if you have a story and you don't know how to promote yourself, it'll be worth coming out of pocket to pay somebody who can do that for you because then that investment will have its returns in sales. It will have its returns in exposure. Um, having a freelance editor, having a proofreader, these things are crucial. When you're working with different creators, if you're working with an artist and you're not and you want to set up a relationship where the artist is not a co-creator, then you have to give that artist designs, so they're basically drawing, and you have to pay the artist. If the artist is a co-creator, and they have a day job, you still have to arrange to pay them something, <laughs> right? Because yes. writers could conceivably write for free, right? I mean, writing is hard like everything else, but that is much less time-consuming than drawing the thing. So, myself as a writer, I have made financial sacrifices so that there's more money in a budget for an artist. Hmm. Yeah. I've done that because I understand that the artist is spending a hell of a lot more time than myself. So, you know, once you have your story, and once you've decided that you're going to engage it in the sequential narrative form of comic books, then you have to learn about the business and you have to learn about creator relationships and talk with different people and get advice and then do the boring stuff like actually setting up a LLC or a business and things like that. And then once you have these foundations set up, then, depending upon how big the operation is, then you can go forward. If you're the person doing everything, if you're a writer, illustrator, and you want to do a web comic, that's a much less complicated procedure that will not involve as much paperwork, but you will still have to learn how to legally protect yourself so that your idea cannot be stolen, so that you understand rules of distribution through the web which is still a business which still has rules so it really comes down to educating yourself instead of just jumping into the fray because you have a dream and you're dying to tell a story because mm -hmm. a number of us are dying to tell stories but if we don't educate ourselves on the way the system works there will likely be consequences you gotta know how to you gotta do your homework I know, I'm, That's right, I'm learning That's that right. now. Like, like any other business, you have to do your homework, and you have to hustle. Yeah. You cannot be sitting on your butt saying, I have the best.
best graphic novel in the in the last ten years, and people are gonna come to me. They're gonna find it. No, they're not gonna find it. You have to find them, and you have to get it to them, and you have to be out there. And one thing that I see sometimes that kind of breaks my heart is when I see creators with stories. And the way they present themselves to the world is with a lack of confidence. And you know, revealing yourself through your art does make you vulnerable. It leaves you naked to criticism and assault, especially through social media and things like that. Yeah. But if you know you have something good, then go out into the world with some sense of confidence of that because if you want to get people to support you they have to see that you believe in yourself and that you believe in the work Mm -hmm. because it's very easy for someone to like something on Facebook but ask them to go into their pocket and donate something to a campaign, a crowdfunding campaign. That's a different proposition. And people respond to confidence. They respond to a belief that this is something that they need to read, that they need to see. And, you know, if there's anything that I want to see, you know, kind of say to some of the creators out there, you know, in this landscape which seems so big and so potentially brutal is that there's space for you and there are people who want to see what you have, but, you know, you have to do the best work, you know, and spine up, go out there, let people know that you believe in it, you believe in yourself. Oof. No, the church said, "Amen." Yeah. No, I, you know, I, and I needed. To, I, no, I needed to hear that too. I know. I it's because you these self doubts do come at you, and I think uh, I was just making a joke. It was it was it yesterday? Basically, I was saying that um, I tweeted something about I need to get this Patreon up, but then I keep I'll, the page has been done everything, and I'm like. Am I ready? But now, I mean, I realize, like, no, I am ready. I know this is good stuff. I'm going to have to just do it. And it's, it is what it is. So That's it. Yeah. That's it. There's no such thing as perfection. You're waiting to get something perfect, you'll be waiting to the grave. That's oh. true. <laughs> That's the black-ass bottom line. That's what that is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's <laughs> like, okay, this is here. This is now. I'm putting it out there. And even if and when it gets attacked, even if it doesn't make me a lot of money, it is real. Mm -hmm. It is imprinted in the universe. It is imprinted in this landscape. And it cannot be erased. Mm. Because somewhere, there's a memory of it. Things live forever on the internet. Books, Books that were printed 70 years ago, you can still find a copy of. So once it's out there, it's real, and it'll take a hell of a lot to destroy it. Wow. <laughs> Oof. I, I, <laughs> I'm just, yes, that's, I 
think we both needed to hear that. Yeah. I mean, even, especially, I'm not a, a comic book creator, you know, but certain things like even this podcast, you know, there's certain times where I'm like, oh, what what the hell are we doing? Even Is it all worth it? You know, that, so those words of wisdom can go through any industry, anything that you're doing, any creative thing. So thank you. Thank you so much for those words. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, y'all are making an impact every day. I sometimes wake up in the morning and, you know, see a good message from Megashin, and I'm like, all right, that's what's up. You know, through the bile that other people will sling, you know, there are people like you out there, and you're throwing out good messages, or sometimes you just make someone laugh, and it makes a difference. I guarantee yeah. you. Yeah. And I try to keep my my personal Twitter. I try to keep it funny because you know you mess around and you start crying and being pissed off the whole damn day. And I try to get at least a good joke in here sometimes. <laughs> but I think you got to do it. You know, yeah. one thing that I do with my Facebook is there's so much bad news that. I just try to throw out some good news, so I'll do something like good morning, and I'll post some good news, good afternoon, good evening, I'll see an article that says something about, you know, some genius kids in a school, and I'm like, that's cool, and I'll throw it on Facebook, because sometimes we need to be reminded that there's some good stuff going on, and I'm not saying that we ignore the bad stuff, we cannot... As a society, that is irresponsible, but if all we have to put out there is bad then we are self-defeating right we're self-defeating as a community you know and our community has so much good and so much to offer that um we can't be drowned out by the bad news so thank you for what y'all do as well Thank you as well, and thank you for coming on our show today because I think this is something that our listeners needed to hear. I think we needed to hear it, but our listeners needed to hear it, and I'm glad you put that out in the universe today. Well, thanks very much. It's been a, I've been wanting to talk with you all for a while, and I really appreciate the invitation and your support of what the creators and I are doing with the Catalyst Prime line and Lastly, I didn't get to mention the names of the creators of Noble, <laughs> so I don't want to misrepresent. Like, I did Noble. Yeah. Noble was done by writer Brandon Thomas, illustrator Roger Robinson, letterer Saida Tamofante, colorist Juan Fernandez, and again, um, the editorial assistant of Catalyst Prime, Desiree Rodriguez. They are all part of what put this book together. And I hope that people that read the book um, can see their efforts. Shout out to them mm-hmm. for making it happen. Yeah. Uh, and Joe, uh, where can everybody find you on these internets? Okay, so on Twitter, I am Joseph P. Illage. Last name is spelled I-L-L-I-D-G-E. On Facebook, I am Joe Illage. And on Instagram, I am ill master one and that's basically and on linkedin i'm joseph philip illage and those are basically 
the locations online where I can be found, and I think I think I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter every day at this point. Uh-huh. <laughs> to be honest, so I, I, I like I like engaging with people and I like promoting what we're doing because I'm proud of what we're doing. And you should be, because yes. it's awesome. Uh, so that does bring close to our show. Definitely go out and cop Noble. Be on the lookout for this ex- exciting, because I'm ready to, I'm ready to just go in and read this comic right now. Uh, you can follow Megasheen. We're at Megasheen Pod and Megasheen on Twitter. You can follow me. I am at Porter Pizzazz. Victor is at Wonderband Five. Go to our website, themegasheen.com. We are also on Facebook at themegasheen and also on Instagram at themegasheen. Uh, Victor, anything else before we get out of here? Um, No, just um, y'all have a good Thursday. Um, we're almost there to the weekend. <laughs> I hear that. And again, Joe, thank you so much. And let's get up on out of here. All right. All right. Thanks for having me. All righty. Bye-bye.